0: home, but um, there is a reason that I brought some of these. I'm ringing, aren't I? Okay. Do you need this? No, I just brought you way I'm sorry. Oh, thanks. Sorry. Yeah. Can I pull up one of these drums, maybe? Yeah, there we go. Sorry, let me get situated here. Um, Jay is right when he says that I've been busy. And I wish I could say that I've been busy just for a weekend, (laughs) but it's been more like a whole season of busyness, if you will. Um, Just to give you kind of a three-minute synopsis, um, my family and I, after living in our house for 20 years, sold our house and moved a couple weekends ago. Um, I graduated, finally. So I have an associate's in pastoral ministry and a bachelor's in leadership in ministry. And then um, one of our sons, Austin, has been in and out of the hospital. So, that's it in a nutshell. But one of the reasons I mentioned that is, you know, we're talking about decisions today. And I really felt, and if you could pray for our family, that part of the reasoning for doing some of the things that we're doing is so that we can position ourselves to do full-time ministry so that we can position ourselves to be untangled uh, debt-free and get more involved so you'll be seeing more of me uh, whether you like it or not (laughs) but um, I just wanted to give you that little synopsis and you'll see in your outline today that I give you some quotes on the back side if you flip over your outline and the reason i did so is because i'm talking about the kingdom of god today and the coming of the kingdom of god the last days series that we're doing is totally tied with the coming of the kingdom and there are two books that i recommend and so these quotes come directly from these books so if you want to come see me afterwards and take a closer look uh, derek morphew with breakthrough here and George L. Ladd with the Gospel of the Kingdom. These are two, one of the finest books you can read on the Kingdom of God and the Gospel. All right, And it, it goes in-depth and, and talks about the last days and that sort of thing. So they're just good resources if you want to come and take a look later. Um, so we're going to be reading out of Luke 17. Um, I'm actually brought one of my handy-dandy uh, Parallel Bibles, because I'm actually going to read from the NLT version. So if you find Luke 17, verse 20, just kind of put your finger there, because I will go through it with you in the NIV version, okay? Um, So I'm going to start out, because we're talking about making decisions. And I want to read an interesting article that actually my husband found just in yesterday's paper. You guys, how many of you read the sports section? I'm, I'm a little weak on the sports section. Okay. All right. Now you have to bear with me because I have new contacts on top of everything. So I've got dealing with that too. It says, colleges, Toledo football coach won't lead pregame prayers. Toledo football coach Matt Campbell said he will no longer lead pregame prayers with his team after the university received a complaint from an anti-religion group. The Freedom from Religion Foundation in Wisconsin told the University in May that the prayers were a violation of the U.S. Constitution. The organization cited a video showing Campbell leading the team in the Lord's Prayer in their locker room before a game in 2012. Okay. People, if you didn't realize it, decisions are being made on your behalf. Do you like that? Do you want that to happen to you? Because last I checked, I was in charge of my own decisions. I could decide if I wanted to pray in my home or in my car or maybe at lunchtime in the workplace. I'm advocating for a healthy dose of decision of a spiritual life in your life but the coming of the kingdom makes people afraid being a christian makes people afraid why is that? why would the coming of the kingdom send fear in people who could care less about your god it's about decisions it's about being in control of your life now i don't know about you but I would hope because I don't know the whole story that somebody stood up for this group. But as you know, the newspapers, the the media doesn't always paint the whole picture. So we're talking today about the coming of the kingdom and how it demands a decision. Jesus announced in Mark 1:15 that the kingdom was near. He said, "The time has come The kingdom of God is near. To his disciples, he said, come follow me. They're demands. You see, because the rest of Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe. It's a demand. It's a choice that we make to be obedient to the demand. So again, I'm going to read out of Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. I'm going to read you the NLT version just because the nuance of the words is a little bit better. I know this is sad, thing. Right? Contacts and glasses. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God isn't ushered in with visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is among you. Later, he talked again about this with his disciples. The time is coming where you will long to share in the days of the Son of Man, but you won't be able to, he said. Reports will reach you that the Son of Man has returned and that he is in this place or that place. Don't believe such reports or or go out to look for him. For when the Son of Man returns, you will know it beyond all doubt. It will be as evident as the lightning that flashes across the sky. First, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. When when the Son of Man returns, for the world will be like that when the people in Noah's day, in those days before the flood, the people enjoyed banquets, parties, weddings, right up until the time of Noah entered the boat, and then the flood came to destroy them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot people went about their daily business eating and drinking buying and selling farming and building until the morning lot left Sodom then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all yes it will be business as usual right up into the hour when the son of man returns on that day a person outside of the house must not go into the house to pack a person in the field must not return to town Remember what happened to Lot's wife? Whoever clings to this life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Lord, where will this happen? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of the vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, So these signs indicate that the end is near. So when you go to your NIV, because we'll be breaking this down, there's a lot packed into this chapter, if you will, on the coming of the kingdom. In essence, you could break it down into the parts that the kingdom of God has come, the kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is coming. Three parts. The first part is in context with Jesus being around the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They do not recognize who they're dealing with. You see, they had had the Torah, the scriptures, that told them who the Messiah was going to be. They expected the king. They expected him to overthrow the nation, lift up the... The nation of israel over and above its neighbors and they would rule and reign then with him but that's not how jesus came jesus was a suffering servant who came in on a donkey despite the fact that scriptures talked about him healing people and 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 doing things they wanted a sign they had asked jesus because there was a disconnect with who jesus was and what he was doing and what he was saying you see, Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man, I am the Messiah, I am the one that you've been looking for. But instead of patting the rich on the back, he was going to the poor, to those that were outcast, to those that were exiled, and he was reaching out and touching them and talking to them about the kingdom of God and letting the kingdom of God break into their life. And so these teachers are confused. They're going, well, he's doing miracles, He's teaching with authority. So is he the Messiah? So they go to Jesus and they will give us a sign. And Jesus is like, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, basically what he's saying in this first part, you wouldn't be asking the question, is essentially what this verse is saying here. It says the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is with you. He's saying, I'm right here in front of you. Don't you see? It's like having your glasses on and not knowing that you have them on. We've all done that, right? Jesus was frustrated with them. So he goes to the disciples then and he says, you know, there's going to come a day when I'm here and then I won't be. He develops this mystery. And the disciples aren't sure what he's talking about. But the idea is that when Jesus announces the kingdom, it's coming presented then and now a demand for all kind to make a decision. Whether they were a teacher, whether they were poor and a leper, whether they were the disciples. When Jesus announced the kingdom, he inaugurated the coming of the kingdom. It's near, it's here. The kingdom of God was directly tied with Jesus and his coming. It wasn't tied like the Pharisees thought with their outward show and their outward works. The more I do, the more closer to God I'll get. It was not about that at all. It was directly related with Jesus showing up on the scene. Because Jesus is here, the kingdom is here. It's what he was saying. The the Pharisees were confronted with Jesus' truth. You have to either believe in me, you have to repent, you have to decide. If you are going to believe that I am the Son of God, that I am who I say I am, and that I am here to save you. See, the teachers didn't think they needed saving. Which, if you ask me, is the state of affairs today. Most people don't understand that they need saving. So as Jesus is presenting the gospel, as he's presenting the kingdom of God, and this mystery starts to develop, we have this, as the vineyard has coined, the already and not yet. You see, in verse 22, he says, then he said to the disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man and his days will be like lightning when it flashes and the lights up for the sky from one end to the other but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation so if we break it down he's saying I'm here I'm going away later in John he says I'm with you always and then here towards the end of Luke 24 he says I'm coming wait a minute can you imagine what the disciples were thinking What do you mean you're going away? You just got here. We were just having fun, you know. You were healing that guy. Now he can walk. The other guy can see. People are excited that you're here. Now you're telling us you're leaving? Like, where are you going to go? Right? He starts to introduce the mystery of the kingdom of the already and not yet. That the kingdom is here because he is here. And even though he's going away, he's sending the Holy Spirit, his presence, to be with us. Lo, I will be with you always so that we can enjoy that fellowship and relationship with him even though he's not here physically anyway and then he says I'm coming so he's coming back he's telling us in Luke I am here I'm going away I'll be with you always but I'm coming back so now the disciples are like well they must be asking what what do you mean you're coming back? What, what is that going to do? What's that going to look like? We would all like to know. What, the, what would that look like, right? You know, it talks about in Peter that, that um, those who saw Jesus were blessed, but even more blessed are those who believe and have not seen him. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. And that when he returns, there will be lightning in the sky. There's going to be cataclysmic events now i can only imagine as a disciple of that day the idea of what a cataclysmic event would be compared today i mean we have a sense of what that might look like because we've seen it in movies right where the earth gets destroyed and burned up and this and that we have a sense but that's all we have we have these words but it seems like a drama that's far away You know, when something's far away, sometimes we lose sight of it. I know that I have been guilty in some points of my relationship with Jesus where I have gotten busy, where I have not spent the quality time or the devotional time, or just spending one-on-one time and with the rhythm of my soul to speak to Him. And when I have those seasons where I do that, He seems distant. Which is funny because it's me that's distant. He's been here the whole time. And you know, when people seem distant, sometimes we put substitutes in there. You know, if someone passes away, we miss the things that are about them that we love. And so we look for things to fill in the gap. Well, Jesus is talking about, you know, I'm going to be gone, and there are going to be people that say that, here I am, and there, there he is. He goes, don't go running after them. They're counterfeits, is essentially what he's saying. You know, in today's world, we are rife with counterfeits. Not only do we fill in the gap with substitutes, but when we watch the news over and over and over again, we get desensitized. And so, you know, seeing a couple murders on the evening news, seeing, you know, a car wreck, we get desensitized. And so it takes something bigger, greater, and more thrilling to catch our attention now. So you can imagine, like these teachers, let's go back to the teachers, do you know that there was 400 years in the intertestament period between Malachi and before Matthew started? No word of God happened during that intertestinal period that is recorded. That's a long time to go without a prophet or without a word of God. Do you imagine how dry they were? And so here Jesus comes on the scene and he's doing miracles and so they want great wonders. They want great signs. Why? Because they're dull. Because they don't have an ongoing relationship with Jesus to know who he is when he's right there on the scene. And that's how we can be we can be desensitized. We can distance ourselves from God and He seems far away and then we realize I'm dry, I'm desperate, I need something. And so the latest and greatest comes out and we run to it and we're excited about it and then we walk away two days later from the conference gone. I'm in the same place I was before. It's because the one on one relationship. We have distanced ourselves and we have fallen for the counterfeit. When we do that, our heart is in danger when we're not in the word, when we're not in relationship with him, our heart is in danger and to being exposed to those counterfeits and not recognizing them when they happen. I'm gonna read Second Timothy. You don't have to turn there for because it talks about, in essence, these counterfeits. And Paul warns Timothy, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure the hardships, do the work of the evangelist. And he goes on. In order to stop ourselves from falling for the counterfeits, we need to recognize that the kingdom is here now. Derek Morphew, if you look at the first quote, it says, The age to come is present, but the present age has not ended. And that's kind of confusing because he's saying age twice there. The age to come is present, meaning the future is here. But this present age, this time that we live in now, has not stopped. It hasn't ended yet. So the kingdom has come and has broken into our life here right now when the coming of the kingdom of God. With Jesus' presence through the Holy Spirit, we can touch heaven. A little bit of heaven, part and parcel, comes and touches our life and dwells in our hearts. And we experience the blessings of God. Morphew also says the entire age of grace from the coming of the kingdom to the final consummation of the kingdom is lived between the times. The future has broken in today. We live in that age of grace that is between the times. Between the times meaning of when Jesus first came to this earth and inaugurated and announced the kingdom to when he will return. We live in between that time. In between that time though the kingdom still comes. It's not distance, it's not far away, he is here. We know that because we come here and we pray for people and sick people get healed. We know because we are able to make the choice to forgive and see relationships changed and transformed. We know this in other evidences of the kingdom of God coming into our lives and breaking sin. You see, when the kingdom of God came in and Jesus came, he died. He defeated death once and for all. But in this age, we still have sin. So even though death is defeated, death still has an effect on this age. Sin still has an effect and deceives us in this age. But Jesus came to break that. Remember Luke 419 when he quoted from Isaiah 61, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When the kingdom of God shows up, darkness has to flee. We can enjoy freedom. Freedom from addictions. Freedom from the unforgiveness that ties and binds us to people and and makes our own bones brittle. Freedom that when we hear His Word, His living Word, it brings life and restoration to us. Bill Jackson just recently died, and he was the author of The Radical Middle that talked about the vineyard's history. And much like living between the times, he talks about the radical middle. The middle is not just the mundane, and that's where we we have grown accustomed to life. Living life in the mundane from day to day. We don't see miracles day to day. But that explains the already and not yet because the kingdom of God is broken in, but it won't finally be here in full consummation until Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, that's when no tear will fall. That's when the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's when there will be peace and death and sin will be eradicated. But for now, we are in that age of the radical middle, in between times, where we look for the kingdom of God to break in. And because Jesus did what he did on the cross, we have read the final chapter. We know what happens in the end. Now, Jesus talks about, in verse 24, that there'll be no doubt when he comes. He talked about lightning flashing and lighting up the sky. John talked last week about Jesus' coming being like a thief in the night. Now, interestingly enough, both my husband and I had a dream about thieves last night. Could you not? Um, when I was praying for this message, I said, Lord, could you give me a picture, some picture of the kingdom and, and what it will be like on that day? And I had a picture of a man trying to break into a house and, and there were like children or people that I knew in the house. And I am trying desperately to call 911 because I know this man is coming. And it was just sheer terror because I didn't feel terror for myself. I felt terror for the people in the house. Absolute terror. And I woke up from my dream about 2.30 and I said something to Steve and then he rolled over. And then his alarm went off early because my son was at Young Life Camp. And he called at 4.30 in the morning and <laughs> to tell us he was on his way. And uh, Steve turns around to me and says, God, I had this terrible dream. I'm like, really? What you talk about? He said it was somebody had come into like a restaurant where teenagers work and was trying to have them give up their money. And they, wouldn't. they didn't know where the safe was, and so he was trying to kill them. Interesting, right? People, I think, misunderstand the fact that the coming of the day of the Lord is going to be a very cataclysmic event. Not only does the coming of the kingdom bring salvation, but it brings judgment. It is judgment for everyone who has not made the decision to follow Christ. Now, when we talk about the signs of the times, because when you talk about end times, people want to know, well, what's it going to look like? what's going to happen right well just to give you a clue if you look at verse 26 through 28 he says just as it was in the days of noah so it will be in the days of the son of man people were eating drinking and marrying and being given to marriage up until the day noah entered the ark then the flood came and destroyed them all small sentence right then the flood came and destroyed them all hello destroyed them all none were living Then at verse 28, it says it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Again, just a couple sentences. And destroyed them all. Like that was no big deal. Really? That's all mankind. Gone. Except for Lot and his family. Except for Noah and his family. Doesn't that blow you away? It blows me away, right? But it says that the Lord found corruption in the earth and violence. And you know, it talks about doing mundane things in our lives, the everyday lives. But you notice what it doesn't say? Nowhere does it say that those people doing those mundane things ever acknowledged God. Hello? They never acknowledged God in anything they did. It was business as usual, as the NLT version says. If you look at the second quote from Ladd, it says, the decision for or against the kingdom of God in the present determines a man's future destiny. Now look at verse 31. Your decision forms your destiny, okay? But this picture of Noah and Lot, and especially Lot's wife, kind of gives you a proper view of what inaction happens. When people don't decide. See, when people delay their choice, or they say, well, i got to think about it for a little bit, it's inaction. It's indecision. But in reality, it is a decision. Verse 32 simply says, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife... Basically, the story goes that Sodom and Gomorrah were about to be destroyed. The angels come. They talk to Lot. They urge him to get him and his family out. So Lot tries to talk to his son-in-laws. I mean, the story is broader than that, but they won't go. They laugh at him. And in the morning, the angels literally, because they're being so slow, take them by the hand to lead them out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how forceful they were because they're saying this place is going to be gone. You have to leave now. The angels are taking them by the hand. As they're leaving in the morning, sulfur and fire start raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot's wife, because they're warned, do not look back, looks back. And she becomes a pillar of salt. Now scientifically speaking, they're saying there's so much salt in the Dead Sea... And it's so dry and arid there that sometimes the winds kick up on the Dead Sea, and salt literally rises out of the sea and encrusts whatever it lands on. And they say that there can be up to an inch of salt on whatever it lands. So scholars say that maybe Lot's wife, looking back at the destruction, you know, it says when the coming of the kingdom comes, that men's heart will faint. Their heart will melt like wax. And that perhaps she died at the sheer terror of it all, and then the salt encrusted her. So that's the pillar of salt, just to give you a scientific um, reason for it. But I think, you know, people talk about Lot's wife looking bad because she regretted things. I think, here is a loving God, and I think there are a lot of people out there that are hung up on why a loving God would let destruction and disaster happen. Why? Why would he let everybody on the earth die by flood? Why would he let Sodom and Gomorrah, a whole city-state of people, die just because they weren't following him? What does that say about God? I think people get hung up on that. And the reason, the answer to that is because he's holy, because he's just, because he's righteous. And because the coming of the kingdom is about judgment, not just salvation. That's why it's cataclysmic. Because there are people that aren't making decisions. They're saying, I'm waiting. I don't know. For this reason and that reason. Or they have some self-barrier installed. They're afraid of giving up a lifestyle. Or what have you. That indecision will cost you because there will not be time to prepare. And Luke tells you that. Do you remember there's a story in Exodus about after Moses brings out the people and they're in the desert and at this time, God is miraculously providing manna for them because there's no food and water. In Exodus 16, you know what the the Israelite people did? They complained about the manna. It was manna in the day, manna in the afternoon, manna in the evening, manna, manna, manna. And they complained. They started saying, if only we had the meats and the garlic and the leeks back then. Well, what was back then? Slavery. Really? You'd rather have slavery and just to have the riches of what you have and be back in bondage again? Rather than having the living bread of manna, the living water of God, right from his hand? But that's how we are sometimes, right? It's not enough. It's not enough sometimes. As Christians, we have decisions to make too. Jude 22 says, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. Then Peter says this, because if you're a christian now and you're going gosh the disciples were waiting for the coming of the kingdom i'm waiting for the coming of the kingdom how long lord how long second peter says the lord is not slow in keeping with his promises some understand slowness he is patient with you notice he didn't say he's patient with them the ones who aren't saved yet he's saying i'm patient with you Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, the kingdom of God demands decision. What are you trying to save? What are you trying to preserve? If you look in verse 33, it says, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. You know, I'm I'm reminded. you, I see all these things. You know, we talk about tribulation and my old mantra was rapture before wrinkles but that's gone out the window now so I have to come up with something new but what do we do when we're in a crisis situation some people liquidate their money some people hide it some people collect TP and ramen noodles and and uh, buy one of these lovely things right we're preparing for the worse but the point Jesus is making here by saying that, you know, don't go off the, roof of your mount- off the roof of your house into town. Don't go and try to go save something because you won't have time. It's too late when Jesus shows up, folks. You will not have time to prepare and make that decision then because when he comes, that's the finish line. There is no... Race to get there. The race is ended. That is the importance that he is stressing with you cannot afford not to make the decision for me. If you look at the third quote from Ladd, it says, The kingdom demands decision as it confronts men. Eternal decision. Tomorrow has met today. The age to come has entered this age. The life of tomorrow is offered to us here and now. Even crises affect Christians. You notice Noah and Lot and Jesus, you know, they were obedient. They did what was asked of them. They built the ark. They left the city. Jesus gave up his life for the Father. He did what he saw the Father doing. But they endured persecution. And you know, we talk about as Christians, well, gosh, are we going to go through the tribulation? You know, is the Antichrist going to come? What's that going to look like? What should we do? Should we be like getting our gas masks and stuff? I think, because the Bible clearly tells us no one's going to know when Jesus comes back, that it is foolish to go after this, that, and the other, looking and trying to guess who the Antichrist is and where he might be and what the time frame might be. Because the truth of the matter, the Bible is clear, is that we are all going to go through trials and tribulations and persecutions, right? They can't say prayer just before their football game now. Teachers are losing jobs at major universities for having a Bible on their desk. They are laughed at. They are doubted. They are not believed. ISIS is killing Christians as we speak. We are enduring persecutions and trials and tribulations now. We are living in the last days. At this point, it really doesn't matter if he comes on the scene or not, because I know if he does, God's going to be there. And you know how I know? Let's go to Second Peter Second Peter verse 9 says, well, let me back up. He talks about Noah and he talks about Lot, okay? He says, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and then made an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who is distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, then go down to verse 9. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials, to to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. That's when the day of the Lord will come, when continuing their punishment. He knows how to save the godly until the end. So yes, even though we're going through trials and tribulations and persecutions, we shouldn't speculate. We know that we're going through that right now. But he knows how to save us until the end, until he comes. Decisions that we make will affect our future. We've said that. The life of tomorrow is offered today. This is the most important and biggest decision, if you have not made it, of your life. Ladd says the difference between the success of two men who are equally talented is determined by the way in which they make decisions. Repent, turn, and decide, is what he says. You can't afford not to. And you know why you should? Because forgiveness... Jesus' death on the cross, it was a gift for you. He died while you were still yet a sinner. And He loves you. He cares about you. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situation. And He does not want to leave you that way. He wants you to be a part of Him. Be a part of His family. Be in relationship with Him. Because He spent his life to pursue you. How many times, if you are a Christian now, how many times, think about it, maybe did God pursue you? I have a friend who said that she spent a period of six months and kept seeing billboard after billboard after billboard saying a phrase about God loves you, God cares about you, and she thought she was the last person on earth God would even know about or care about. And then someone walks in while she's in the grocery store and says, do you know Jesus? And guess what? That woman went to the same church those Billboard ads came from. When it talks about one will be left and one will remain lad's talking about you know there's equality there we're side by side with people and you know you can tell that because in the scriptures he talks about being the goats with the sheep the tares with the wheat we live side by side with one another we are here to snatch them out of the fire that is our job as witnesses for christ we, will, we are all equal in His eyes because He loves us equally. Whether you're a sinner or not, He loves you and don't doubt it. But I will say, when the day of judgment comes, He's saving those who are His own. He is coming to save those who have already chosen Him, those He calls His children. But you can become one of His children. It's just a decision to say yes to Him. To respond to His love and His goodness and His grace and His mercy for you. The decision that you make is not just for today, it's for the rest of your life. And it's so serious of the decision. That's why He's talking about the vultures at the end. Because it's either life or death. It's either a crown or your chafe in the wind. I don't know about you but I want to be sitting at that banquet table the last thing is that you know we can hurry the kingdom of God believe it or not we do that by asking the kingdom to come that's why Jesus shared the prayer in Matthew 6 9 and said the prayers taught his disciples how to pray to ask for the kingdom of God your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Lord The grace between the times, that radical middle is to call upon the kingdom of God to break in so we can experience in our hearts, in our lives, that power, love, and sound mind. That peace that passes all understanding, that from the author and finisher of our faith, who knows our beginning and end, who loves us unconditionally, wants to bring us into heaven to that place he's prepared to give us a crown so that we can sit at his banquet table and be in fellowship with him forever. That's what he wants. When the kingdom of God comes, it will come in power and salvation, signs and wonders, and cataclysmic events. So when Jesus introduces the gospel, when the good news of the coming of the kingdom breaking in here and now into your life, That life is not hopeless, life is not just full of darkness, life is not, this is it. Then that's when you need to make the decision. And he's asking you to decide. Will you stand with me, Brandon? Can you come on up? Everyone has to make a decision sooner or later. And... I don't know about you, but the song that um, I was thinking about this, I was Tom Brandon and his wife earlier. And when I was praying about that, that, you know, you can have this world, give me Jesus. When I get done with this, this that's all I was thinking about. Lord, you can have the, the crappy news at 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock that I watch, which half of it is not even newsworthy. Lord, you can have my brokenness, my, my desire to be an achiever, my desire to get over the brokenness in my life by doing the wrong things. Lord, you can have those things. I have a son who is in and out of the hospital with heart disease. And he has been accused of being very black and white no gray, you know, and my response to them is, he's living his last days, he is living day to day, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, and in his eyes, whether he goes tonight or tomorrow, he's going to be with the Lord, he knows where he's going, he knows who he's going to, now I think he's got more to do in this life. But folks, he's made the decision. He's ready. Are you? Are you ready? Because your tomorrow may be today. You don't have time to prepare. But God loves you so much. He is waiting for you. And he's been waiting for you since the time you were born. Since the time you could walk and talk. Since the time that you could consciously be of age and make that decision for him. He loves you. He loves you, He loves you, He loves you. And whatever barrier that is keeping you from making that decision because, well, gosh, I'd have to make, change my lifestyle. I, I, I'd ha- I can't sleep in on Sunday mornings. I can't this or that. Whatever it is, it's peanuts compared to the life that you can have with Jesus in it.